Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We do have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. They're just completely out of order. Crazy, then bad, then good. And we are brought to you once again today by Quip, the electric toothbrush that starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash martini right now, you can get your first refill pack of brushes for free. Getquip.com slash martini. Much more on that in just a moment. Jim, today is Bill Barr Day, part one on Capitol Hill. He's testifying, the Attorney General is, before the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is chaired by Lindsey Graham. The Democrats clearly think they have blood in the water with Bill Barr. And one of the reasons why is because the Washington Post revealed excerpts from a letter that Bob Mueller sent to Bill Barr in late March, uh, suggesting he was not happy with the way that Barr had summarized the conclusions of the Mueller investigation in his letter to Congress. I'll quote a little bit here from the Mueller letter. He says, The summary letter the department sent to Congress and released to the public late in the afternoon of March 24th did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of this office's work and conclusions. We communicated that concern to the department on the morning of March 25th. There is now public confusion about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. This threatens to undermine a central purpose for which the department appointed the special counsel to assure full public confidence in the outcome of the investigations. Well, that sent CNN and MSNBC and everybody else into convulsions. See, we told you that Barr was lying. He's spinning. He's covering for the president. And he's going to get his lunch eaten on Capitol Hill the next couple of days. Thanks to Andy McCarthy, your colleague, uh, writing over at foxnews.com. He says, Barr and Mueller spoke by phone the day after Mueller sent his letter. If you wade through the first 13 paragraphs of the Post story, you finally find the bottom line. Quote, when Barr pressed Mueller on whether he thought Barr's memo to Congress was inaccurate, Mueller said he did not, but felt that the media coverage of it was misinterpreting the investigation, officials said. So, Jim, we've seen this. Over and over again, the slightest little thing gets um, the liberals and their friends in the media very, very excited. But if you actually dig into the story, there's not nearly as much there there. Yeah, Greg, you know, from the beginning of this process, I've thought pretty highly of Robert Mueller. I think he's uh, did a fine job as FBI director. I think he handled his duties in this situation about as well as he could. I think we might quibble with one or two of the folks he hired Uh, for his team, but I think he attempted to go through this with as much professionalism, focus on the law and, and, you know, propriety as possible. One of the side effects of that was, you know, this entire process, we've never heard Robert Mueller's voice. Uh, He had a spokesman for his investigative team. The spokesman very rarely had any public comment. Once in a great while, you'd see something like that uh, infamous BuzzFeed report uh, that Trump had instructed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. Uh, the you know, Mueller came out and said, no, we did not have that. that, that he said the report was not accurate. Um, and there's a little bit of questions about, well, what part were they objecting to and things like that. But by and large, Robert Mueller was very tight-lipped. You didn't, do, didn't see him doing press conferences. You didn't see him doing uh, televised interviews. He, you know, it was kind of this, you know, uh, his investigative office was kind of like this black box. You know, we're kind of wondering what's exactly going on in there. And so now we get the report. Um, but with the party, as I understand it, at no point was there anything that said that Robert Mueller can't issue public statements, either in written form or in, you know, in front of cameras. 
And if he really believed that the media coverage was creating a false impression, there's nothing stopping him from calling a press conference and saying, I have something to say. I have something here. I believe that there's been uh, inaccurate information floating around that I want to set the record straight. He may very well do that at some future hearing before Congress. Maybe he thinks that's the only appropriate venue for this sort of thing. Um, but it's a little bit annoying. I, if this is important enough to write a letter about, then I kind of think you'd be important enough to, like, if you really are that worried about the public getting the wrong impression, you can either put out a written statement, you can get out a televised statement. If you want to do a sit down with, you know, 60 minutes or someplace, he can do that. There's nothing stopping him. Uh, from doing any of these things. So it's, it's, it's a very strange state in which clearly he's got a little bit of a beef with Barr, but then in the phone call, it sounds like he doesn't have that much of a beef with Barr. It's more about how Barr's uh, uh, four-page letter and summary is, is, being, uh, 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 is being reported and covered and discussed. It's one of those things where like, I kind of feel like, you know, to, to the special counsel, look, if you feel like people are misconstruing what you have to say, what you found and what you've written, then tell people directly. No one can tell your story better than you can. And even today, we're getting this in excerpts of this letter uh, seen by the Washington Post as of this morning. I don't know if we saw the entire you know, full text of it. Mr. Mueller, special counsel, if you got something to say, come out and say it. Speak on your own behalf. Stop doing going through you know go-betweens and summaries and, and things like that. Um, if you're really that worried about the public not being properly informed, you know, I think it's a part of your duties to set the record straight. And hopefully we'll get them to see you do it in one form or another, maybe before Congress or maybe some other format. Um, I mean, you know, there's a we had our frustrations with James Comey uh, and that infamous press conference during the 2016 election. But, you know, that was Comey coming out and saying, look, America, here's what I found. I'm not going to take any questions, but that way you control the message and having it go through somebody else and fearing that it's getting misconstrued or misinterpreted. Jim, just a couple of concluding thoughts on this martini. I'm sure you're as shocked as I am that after a two-year investigation and now a report that no one's mind in Washington has changed about what they think <laughs> happened during the 2016 campaign. Somebody once said that the you know 90-some percent of all commentary about politics is, let me tell you how this latest event proves that I was right all along. <laughs> and I try to avoid that, although there are times it feels like events do prove me that i was right all along it's a it's a tough temptation to resist greg it certainly is and uh it's interesting now that the democrats are still moving forward on this you know they were the ones who uh you're still investigating benghazi enough already with the emails oh no 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 we're not done with this russia business with uh, with trump even though the Mueller report says there was no collusion oh no no we're just getting warmed up so it's fun how it is worth noting that moveon.org has a, a special page that declares impeachment now <laughs> which many, those of us with long memories will note the particular irony, which you may be able to pick up if you look at the name of the organization. <laughs> but uh, that's where we are. Look, I guess the single most frustrating aspect of all this is that for two years we've seen, you know, remember Robert De Niro playing him on Saturday Night Live, and there was this perception of him as the ultimate lawman, and uh, Robert Mueller always gets his man. He's like a Canadian Mountie, and, you know, and now we're at the end of it, and now you're hearing that, well, you know, maybe Mueller missed this, maybe Mueller missed that. Look, if, if Mueller didn't find it, it doesn't feel <laughs> comfortable saying that. Well, if you have a bad taste in your mouth about all this, and you just want to get a cleaner feeling, Quip toothbrushes is the way to go. It's time for spring cleaning, and Quip's got an easy way to start 
with your brushing habits. Just two minutes, and yes, you do need to brush for two minutes, twice a day can help pave the way to a healthier mouth and mind. And now the whole family can get refreshed with Quip. The new Kids Quip has the same two-minute timer and guiding pulses as our original version, with no childish gimmicks, so they can brush just like the grown-ups. As I mentioned yesterday, if you're worried about, you know, some toothpastes have a very strong flavor, uh, kind of a very intense mintiness that might be a little, you know, uh, a little sharp, a little too too strong for young, sensitive mouths. Uh, my sons tried out the Quip toothpaste when we ran out of their toothpaste on a recent trip. They handled it just fine. It's not overwhelming. It's not um, that, you know, intense gels or sometimes that you get there. Quip has sensitive sonic vibrations for an effective clean that's gentle on your sensitive gums. It's got a built-in two-minute timer, which pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides or switch from top to bottom. This helps you clean your whole mouth evenly. Quip's multi-use cover works as a stand. It mounts to mirrors, and it slides over your bristles to pack and protects your Quip when you're on the go. There are no wires or a clunky charger, and it runs for three months on a single charge. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule of every three months for just $5. A friendly reminder of when it's time for a refresh and to stay committed to your oral health. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. They're backed by more than 25,000 dental professionals, and they have thousands of verified five-star reviews. And just yesterday, Jim and I got a very nice tweet from a listener saying, thank you for that recommendation. I'm so excited to know that there's a kid's version of Quip. We just bought five of them. So uh, fantastic news. I know uh, that those listeners are going to enjoy the Quip toothbrushes. We love it. They're going to love it. And that's why over one million happy, healthy mouths do too. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash martini right now, you can get your first refill pack of brushes for free. That's your first refill pack free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now and back to Venezuela. Yesterday, we made it very clear we had no idea what was going to happen, but we were hoping that the freedom fighters were going to emerge victorious, and it's still possible, uh, but it's not looking great right now. AP, he called it the moment for Venezuelans to reclaim their democracy once and for all. But as the hours dragged on, opposition leader Juan Guaido stood alone on a highway overpass with the same small cadre of soldiers with whom he launched a bold effort to spark a military uprising and settle Venezuela's agonizing power struggle. Like past attempts to oust President Nicolas Maduro, the opposition seemed outmaneuvered again Tuesday. What Guaido dubbed Operation Freedom triggered a familiar pattern of security forces using repressive tactics to crush small pockets of stone-throwing youths, while millions of Venezuelans watched the drama unfold with a mix of fear and exasperation. The opposition's hoped-for split in the military did not emerge. A plane that the United States claimed was standing by to ferry Maduro into exile never took off, and by nightfall, one of the government's bravest opponents, who defied house arrest to join the insurrection, had quietly sought refuge with his family in a foreign embassy. So, Jim, it's probably going to be pretty chaotic there today. It's May Day after all, so I expect a lot more protests. But uh, a lot of people thought that if it's going to happen, it would have happened yesterday. Hopefully it still will, but uh, yesterday didn't turn out like we wanted. Yeah, so it's worth noting there are certain folks who look at the situation in Venezuela and say, well, we're rooting for the people who want democracy. We're rooting for the people who want to be free, but we shouldn't get too involved. And I can understand, based on recent history, why people would be worried, wary about any uh, military intervention or, or something like that. 
Having said that, I don't think you can argue that this is a fight between two sides that are morally equivalent. And if you have any doubts, just, you know, all over my social media feeds yesterday, there was that horrific, just just abominable stomach-turning footage of those government ar- armored personnel carriers running over people in the streets. Um, one, side of, one side is a bunch of thugs. And you know what's kind of curious is you have seen a few members uh, of Congress on the Democratic side. And admittedly, these are the ones who are always kind of fringy. Um, basically saying that the U.S. should not be intervening here, that this is uh, uh, Trump's, you know, imperialism and more American meddling and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, again, if, if Pompeo is right, Maduro was on a plane getting ready to fly to Cuba, and it was the Russians who convinced him not to uh, flee the country. Uh, the Russians assured him that he was going to be able to, to, uh, uh, to weather the storm. They'd stand by him. Uh, reports are that most of the forces that are surrounding Maduro for his personal protection are Cuban because he can't trust the Venezuelans around him. Um, now, I think I just kind of wonder those, particularly for these, you know, lefty members of, of Congress, but even for the commentators and talking heads and all those folks who are basically becoming Maduro apologists. Doesn't it worry them to be on the same side of Putin? <laughs> Haven't we spent, you know, two and a half years talking about how Putin is the worst guy in the world? No, by the way. Yeah, he is, or, or he's up there. This, there's a lot of competition for worst guy in the world. But uh, you know, after being told that that Putin was this is this adds to this fuel to this theory that Amer- a lot of American Democrats really hate Vladimir Putin because of his associations to Donald Trump, who they see as the real root of all evil. Not uh, Trump was evil because of his associations with Vladimir Putin. Um, look, guys, I, this is not morally equivalent sides. This is you know. Uh, one side yearning to be free, the other side willing to be unspeakably brutal in its pursuit of power uh, and continue oppressing and, and suppressing dissent. Um, you know, hopefully things turn out. Things didn't look out great, didn't look great at this hour, but uh, we can still keep up hope. And we can, you know, take some reassurance of the fact that to the extent the American, the United States has leverage, it's not a ton, but there's some, uh, we can continue applying that pressure and leverage and hopefully uh, force Maduro out, if not sometime soon, then someday, and better days will come for Venezuela after that. It's such a stark contrast yesterday. There was one point on Twitter where uh, Jim Acosta, the CNN White House correspondent, was talking about how he hoped his voice would hold up because he was going in studio to do the audiobook version of his book, uh, Enemy of the People, basically his uh, one-man stand against the, the Trump administration's efforts to trample the freedom of the press on the very same day that the Venezuelan government is shutting down all sorts of different media outlets, including CNN, and CNN's reaction to that was pretty much, well, anyway, back to Trump. Huh. Yeah, they were shutting down CNN International, by the way. You'd think that would irk CNN a little more. <laughs> right. uh, and look, you know, I, I'm not a fan of when Trump goes on these tirades on Twitter. I think the president should be a little bit above this stuff. Um, clearly, the president watches a lot of CNN or watches a lot of you know cable news television gets very angry about what's said about him and immediately takes on to Twitter and, you know, vents his spleen over it. I don't like it, but that's not really oppression. That's not really, he's not jailing anybody. He's not, uh, uh, you know, abrogating or impeding the First Amendment rights of anyone. There are no federal troops going into CNN's headquarters and taking them off. the. I mean, like, let's have a little bit of perspective, guys. What we're seeing in uh, uh, in Venezuela is genuine suppression of free speech and, and an autocratic, brutal regime. So, again, um, there seems to be more than a little bit of narcissism at work here. And, uh, I mean, we, we've, we, it's, you can put, I, use, I saw this phrase this past weekend, shocking but not surprising. <laughs> right. And uh, that seems to apply this, this set of circumstances. 
All right, on to the crazy. No, not the crazy. The good martini. We're finishing with the good news today. That kind of actually feels good in some ways. Uh, back to Venezuela, though. And while CNN was being kicked off the air and not really complaining about it, uh, MSNBC was also uh, covering uh, the, the chaos in Venezuela. Uh, Andrea Mitchell was hosting. Uh, she was talking with Carrie Sanders. And uh, she was bringing up the fact that despite the best efforts of the Trump administration through sanctions and diplomatic pressure, you know, Maduro's still in power. So what gives? This is taking longer than they thought, despite the sanctions, despite the pressure. With the help of Russia and other outside forces, Maduro is hanging on. Not only hanging on, but he appears to still control the military. You have to understand in Venezuela, gun ownership is not something that is open to everybody. So if the military have the guns, they have the power. And as long as Nicolas Maduro controls the military, he controls the country. This constitutional moment brought to you by MSNBC. Jim, that's pretty much why we have a Second Amendment. Once you start making these sorts of arguments, you'll get some people to say, oh, come on. Uh, the American government is nothing like the Venezuelan government, which actually I would agree with. And, you know, the U.S. government would never um, oppress its people the way uh, the way the Venezuelan government has. Probably not. We've got some unpleasant chapters of our history, some not so long ago. Uh, you know, the, the Japanese Americans in California during World War II might have wished they had uh, more access to firearms and, and been able to have a more uh, uh, armed resistance to a what struck me as a you know flatly unconstitutional effort to put round them up and put them in camps. Look, would, would, you know, is the U.S. government ever likely to do something like this? You know, hope uh, no, and hopefully nothing remotely even close to this happens in our lifetime. But if you don't have firearms, well, then you're a heck of a lot easier to force into, you know, some sort of unjust situation than if you do. Um, you know, this is a, uh, you know, it, it, this, think of it as insurance. Think of it as a deterrent. Think of it as a way of ensuring that, you know, there are certain things that can really never be done in this country, in part because the population is armed. There was this very interesting, I remember, you know, think, you know I was thinking back to World War II. There was an argument about whether Japan would ever uh, invade the United States. And oh, by the way, uh, to cryptically mention a, uh, a potential, actually, it's just in, in this book. If it's, I'm working on a book. You'll know about, more about it later. <laughs> working on another book. And I was doing some research into World War II. And in fact, there were a couple of times in which the Japanese did uh, send bombs over to the continental United States. Also, they apparently they occupied an uh, island in Alaska. Um, so when people say, oh, no foreign country is ever going to invade the United States. And, ah, you know, you nutty right wingers with your, you know, fantasies of Red Dawn and, you know, joining Patrick Swayze and the Wolverines and, and all that. <laughs> Look, you know, is it likely to happen? No. And hopefully it never, ever happens. But again, the guns are a deterrent. And apparently there was some Japanese uh, officer who looked at this and kind of concluded that because of the nature of the United States, because of the sheer number of firearms that were in American homes, uh, there would be an armed resistance behind every blade of grass. And and that's, you know, that's a nice thing to have in this life. Ukraine doesn't have that, right? Um, a lot of European countries, the Baltics don't have that. A whole bunch of countries don't have that recognition that if anybody ever wanted to, to invade, you know, Taiwan, right? You know, there are a bunch of places in this world where you live with the threat of some bigger, more powerful country deciding to roll in and take over because they feel like it and they think they could do it and they think it's worth the cost and blood and treasure to take it. In the United States, we know in part because of our spectacular military, in part because of our spectacular intelligence services, but also in part because of our armed citizenry, that taking us over would be really, really difficult and extraordinarily costly 
uh, and that we would never, ever stop resisting. And that's one of the things that protects our freedom. So there we are, uh, and that's what they don't have in Venezuela. And as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, you know, watching those, those uh, armored personnel carriers run people over, that's what happens when one side has all the military force and all the armaments and the other side does not. So, um, look, you know, thank you, MSNBC. I'm sure, you know, you didn't necessarily plan on that, but a uh, valuable lesson for all. The founders got it right, and it's, uh, it's a glorious thing, at least until President Swalwell nukes us if we don't give him back. So There you go. They do have bigger guns, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Greg, remember when we thought President Charles Logan was the worst possible option? <laughs> For all of the 24 fans out there. That's right. I don't think uh, Logan, you know, a nuke went off on Palmer's watch. He did everything he could to stop it. We had a lot of problems under Charles Logan's uh, administration of, you know, however many years or days it was. But uh, I don't <laughs> think Logan ever threatened to nuke the American people. We, no. We've avoided that. So, you know. In fact, uh, when, when he stepped in for uh, President Keeler, he effectively stopped uh, a nuclear strike uh, from Marwan. I mean, it was really Jack but, uh, and, and the CTU unit, but uh, I believe he got the credit with some help from President Palmer, and then he promptly killed President Palmer. Spoiler, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's been a few years. And then, as we all know, Jack Bauer changed his name and ended up becoming the designated survivor <laughs> on another network. Oh, watch watch 24 if you haven't already. Great job. Jim, great day today. Talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget to visit our friends over at Quip. Get the toothbrush just starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash martini, you get your first refill pack of brushes for free. Tune in again Thursday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.